Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of friends explore movies through trivia. I'm one of these friends, KJ, and with me is... Tom. And I'm Chris. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with four rapid-fire trivia questions, and possibly a few bonus questions. Audience, feel free to play along from home. The first question is worth one point, and each question after that is worth one more point. Then, we'll follow it up with our famous movie rant, where anything goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Walking up to theaters in 1985, we would have had to choose between Friday the 13th, Part 5, The Care Bears Movie, Brewers Millions, Police Academy 2, Rambo 2, Pumping Iron 2, and today's movie... Lady Hawk. KJ will be our questioner today. KJ, what is Lady Hawk all about? In Lady Hawk, we follow Matthew Broderick, who is trying to help Navir. Navir is the previous captain of the King's Army, who is a man by day and a wolf by night. With the man, there is a woman. Isabeau. Isabeau? Isabelle? Isabeau? I think it's Isabeau. Isabeau. Isabeau is a woman by night and a hawk by day. They were cursed. Even though they're in love, they're never people at the same time. When one's a person, the other's an animal. It's terrible. So there's a priest named Imperius who knows that a solar eclipse is coming up and the curse can be broken if both man and woman stand before the bishop. Matthew Broderick gets caught up in all this, and he helps coordinate everybody together to break the curse so Hawk and Wolf can live together as man and woman. It's time for question one. What is the name of Navarre's horse? Locked in. Locked in. Tom? Goliath. Chris? Matthew Broderick tells the story of David and Goliath to the horse. There it is. Goliath. Points for everybody. It's time for question two. For a point apiece, what are Matthew Broderick's characters' two names? Locked in. I locked in with one. All right, Tom. What do you, what what name do you have? I have the mouse. Chris. Uh, I have the mouse as well, but I also thought it might have been Pierre. Ooh, close. I'm gonna give you guys each a point. His his uh, given name is Philippe Gaston. Yeah, it's funny. They say it a lot, but it, it never stuck in my head after watching this movie. Is always... this supposed to be France? Like, where where are we? Yeah, they all have French names. So my... <laughs> yes. I guess we are, right? Yeah. yeah it could be all England, right. you know. But That's what it looked like to me. It didn't look like pomp and circumstance enough to be French. But I, I, I the name's... Okay, whatever. I digress. Most medieval I'm sorry. France is, is like that, right? I mean, most of it is just not Paris. Well, the synth drum started in France, so... That's true. That's it true. may. Yeah. Yeah, that's oh, man, I... right? <laughs> it's time for question three. For a point apiece, name the rhymes the prisoner claims Gaston did. So at one point in the movie, Gaston is presumably locked in a cell, and it starts with him getting out of that cell. The king's guard go down to bring Gaston to the gallows, and Gaston's not there. They meet another prisoner who is kind of kooky, and he starts telling them where Gaston is. What are the rhymes? Oh, boy, I remember the scene, but I don't remember what he said. A lock in something. 
I I got I I mean I got I lock it I guess. All right, Chris, what do you have? I I don't know what the rhyme is, but there had to be something that rhymed with sewer because that's the way he escaped. <laughs> and I'm guessing that there was something that rhymed with stealing or theft because that's what he was in prison for. But I I very much don't know what the actual lines were from the movie. What do you have, Tom? The mouse has left the house. All right, point for Tom. Yes, the mouse has he left the house. No mouse today. He's run away. To ease the pain, he's he's down the drain. <laughs> Woof. Okay. Yeah, Woof, right. to, Woof the, to those. It's a level of comedy in this movie, I felt like that was That's <laughs> pretty much it. Yeah. So that puts Tom in the lead with three, and Chris is just behind with two. It's anybody's game going into the final question. All right, I'm excited. It's time for question four. In their final scene, where does Imperius, the priest, want to meet Philippe, the mouse? Locked in. So just to give some context, Tom, Tom's given a very confused look. The final scene uh, takes place in this kind of a church, I guess. It's the bishop, and Philippe saves the day by throwing a sword or something. And then the priest and Philippe are leaving the church and having a little bit more oh, banter. Oh, locked in, locked in. Okay, I got gotcha. you. All right, Tom, what do you have? The pearly gates. Chris? Yes, Philippe is going to break the lock on the pearly gates to see him again. <laughs> Points for everybody, uh, which would make Tom the winner, but that was a little... Uh, I gave a lot of context all of a sudden. You did, right? yeah, like yeah. That yeah. was... Um, I thought you were little... talking about the church or something. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna call. Uh, we're going to bonus. Okay, it's time for a bonus question. What is Philippe's favorite thing for dinner? Locked in. I can give you guys context again. What scene is like? I can describe the scene this banter is in if you guys want. Sure, I I, I would I would take that hint. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is at night. He's. Well, it can't be that late at night. Night is approaching, and he's heading into a barn with um, the one he calls Lady Hawk, and he's talking to the he's talking to Lady Hawk. <laughs> I mean, I I remember what he told her to drink, but I don't remember what he said about his favorite food. So I'm I'm just I'm still gonna lock in. I'll lock in, I guess. All right, Tom, what do you have? I'm gonna say. Lamb, Chris. Yeah, I I remember I remember him being pulled up to a plate of apples after the he did something really good for the night, and then he says to the to Michelle Pfeiffer to have some sweet wine and dance, but I don't remember what he said was his was his favorite food. He says, um, you know, hawk makes a great dinner. I've eaten a lot of hawk. In fact, hawk is my favorite thing for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, to the hawk. He's saying this to the hawk. Yeah, to the hawk. Yep. Yikes. I guess we should all just congratulate Nick once again yeah. for being this week's winner. I Nick, mean, congratulations, to buddy. Be, Nick. Just been he is on some kind of roll. I mean, yeah. we're we're approaching the end of summer and falls just around the corner, and then he's he's just taking it. He's going to be Mister October in a few in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, way to go, Nick. Way to mm -hmm. be, Nick. And Nick, uh, part of the stipulation of winning all these is you have to go back and watch all these movies so that you know how you won. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I... You've won so many of my movies, Nick. Aren't you excited? Enjoy this one, buddy. <laughs> Stay tuned for our pre-Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick comedy style movie rant coming up 
right after this break. Join another Talking Studios production, Limited Lexicon, where we play through text-based adventure games. Text-based adventure games were computer games from before computers had graphics. The game uses text to describe a scene, and the player types back how they want to interact with the game. I'll read the text from the computer, and my co-host will feed me commands. This season, we're playing through The Hobbit from 1982 on the ZX Spectrum. Here's a quick sample. I thought uh, a lot about our first command, and I think it should be no print because we don't want to print things as we're going along. I think by default, it's not going to print. And even <laughs> if I did that print, I, where is it going to print to? 1982? I, I would imagine if we go west, we're going to be south of the troll, right? Just south of the troll land. Yeah, let's try it. You go west. The troll's clearing. The visible... Oh, we died. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> all right the troll the troll saw us and killed us so i think we have to see the answer to the riddle then the answer is dark say dark i think talk to what Gollum. Gollum. say Gollum. dark you talk to Gollum. thorin says hurry up and we died and we died so we went northeast last time so let's go southwest you go southwest. Visible exits are north, northwest. You see the valuable golden ring. Oh, wow. Wow. Wait, wait, wait. that's oh, perfect. Wow. That's wow. perfect. Limited lexicon coming to your podcatcher and YouTube in late 2022 by Talking Studios. And we're back. So, guys, you had never really heard of this movie. First watch. Anything stand out to you guys? The first three minutes are awesome <laughs> the so it, it was a it was a trope of 80s movies i guess to like have a lot of opening credits and have this really big drawn out like a scene but this is literally three and three minutes 15 seconds i think was what it actually ended up being of a hawk flying through like picturesque sunsets and sunrises <laughs> with this incredible like disco synth 80s like cacophony that was happening at the same it was it was amazing i i texted the boys as i was watching it i was three <laughs> minutes in and it's like this is the best this is the best synth synth i've ever heard yeah it it is really of its time right i mean that opening scene is like a natural version of top gun <laughs> a feathered <laughs> top gun is what we were watching and it's boy that music and it just keeps coming back and it's jarring because it has nothing to do with the look of the movie, which you would guess they're attempting. I don't know what era they're supposed to be in, but they seem to be fairly like there's a sense of authenticity with the costumes and the look of it. Right. There's nothing kind of special about anything or over the top about anything with with how they appear. Yeah, there's um, no modern twist on there's no modern twist. There's nothing like they look dirty, right? They, they look <laughs> normal, except Michelle Pfeiffer's haircut, mm. which is like a like a, you know, kind of pixie version of Madonna or something like that. Her haircut looks ridiculous. But fortunately, I mean, unfortunately, she's not in the movie very much. So we don't see the haircut very much. Um, but yeah, it's the, the synth music is weird and distracting and <laughs> And it's not it's not on tone either. Like you could have a serious scene 
where like you have this like the crescendo of the movie and then you have this like upbeat synth rock kind of thing i i, I looked over at, i looked over at my wife we were eating dinner as i was finishing watching it before we started taping tonight and i looked over, i was like this is as if a Mentos commercial turned into a fantasy movie. <laughs> it, it, it's what it felt like. It's like I was waiting for Dave Grohl to give me the thumbs up at the camera because it was all a farce at the end, and it never happened. I I, I do want to touch on something Tom said. Like I thought the production value of this was was amazing. Like the castle that they that they visit multiple times and the costuming. Like I I thought it for this era of movies. I thought it looked really really good for a fantasy piece. I don't know about you guys. It looked expensive, but not necessarily artfully done. Kind of like the Wheel of Time shows now. Exactly. It, it doesn't look artful. I, I Yeah, I would say it doesn't. I agree with that. It doesn't look artful. Like that That castle's, that's a legit castle, right? They, that That's an on-location yeah. castle. Like, mm-hmm. that's pretty, like, I expected something with this kind of story to be like an on on the back lot kind of thing in, right. in the middle of a, of, a, of a warehouse, not on location at a real medieval castle, what it looked like. But Mr. Mm-hmm. Donner, give us a wide shot of that castle. I don't know what it would cost. I guess back then you had to use a chopper, right? You're not going to get a crane that high, but it would have been cool to kind of put it in place. We always see it from below. I don't think we ever saw it from above. Yeah, it's a, it, the castle's actually in Italy. It's in Abruzzo. It's the, the Rocca Calasio, which is a, a, some fortress um, in, in northern Italy. So then it, the, the priest booby trapped it <laughs> like a like a villain yeah. in a video game or something. <laughs> yeah. Why? Which is really odd. Yeah. Like, um... <laughs> what was he expecting? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things like that. Um, I mean, we we get into some of the problems of the, the movie. You don't really know what the characters are are pursuing. Like they want to kill this bishop. Rucker Howard's character wants to kill this bishop. But apparently that won't resolve anything, right? That's that's the idea. If he kills it, it won't resolve anything. Um, did the bishop cast the curse? It apparently through his association with somebody is what I got. Okay, but I got a... that he he made like a pact with a dark power. Yeah, in order to like curse them for them falling in love with each other when he was obviously meant to fall in love with. Michelle with Pfeiffer. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, so I think they, he he being of the holiness decided to like seek a dark god in order to to lay this hmm. curse upon both of them. And then another big plot point was that Imperius betrayed Michelle Pfeiffer and the blonde guy. But did we ever find out what that betrayal was? Well, yeah, he he says that it's uh that they they the two of them were going to confession to him. And confessing that they they have fallen in love for each other, and he was supposed to keep that confessional secret, but then he uh... he in a drunken stupor blabbed their confessional to the bishop, who also loved Michelle Pfeiffer, and because of that, that's what drove the bishop to do the gnarly dark rituals that, of course, every bishop aims <laughs> to do. Yeah, and there's this other factor, which is the the actual resolution, and so there's a tension between what Rucker Howard wants to do, which is sort of nihilistic we will never get together therefore we're just going to kill the bishop and then i guess die after i'm not entirely sure and then there's the actual solution which we don't know what the solution is going to be until it happens and so you're not waiting for the solution to happen just something happens and it kind of comes off as a deus ex machina and then everything's okay well, Imperius says there's a day without a night and a night without a day coming. Mm-hmm. 
And that'll allow you guys to both be in human form for a little bit. And that's how you break the curse. I think he says that fairly early in the movie is Mm -hmm. like the goal. Fairly early in the movie is like an hour and 15 minutes when they finally beat him. So (laughs) I I guess I guess that's my big takeaway. Last week in the in the first thoughts, I was like, this would be a much better movie. 20 minutes shorter. Mm -hmm. Like there were entire parts of this. Like there was a part after they meet Imperatus, after they know what they have to do, they're traveling back towards the original, the original capital, I guess, or where the bishop is, and they're doing all this like snow scenery. They're going through the, they're going through the snow, and like you spend a good fifteen minutes trying to show how Matthew Broderick has helped both of these characters. Like, are you trying to make me like Matthew Broderick more? Like he's already likable, and I don't think that what they did made him any more likable. Nor did it. It just kind of jumbled up it jumbled up the there was a beginning there was a middle and end the beginning was you find out what the the problem is the middle is you find out that there's a solution and then there's 20 minutes in the middle of getting the from this from that point to the actual end of the movie that i just felt like didn't need to be there i i agree it doesn't need to be there for this movie but it might be my favorite part of the movie that it also kind of shows the night and day and Matthew Broderick, this is, I, I, again, it falls flat, but it could have been really funny the way he's talking up what the other person said and kind of lying to each of them. To, I did enjoy that. That was one of the few like endearing parts of the movie. But it's also a little weird that he has to lie. But at one point he lies about what Lady Hawk says That's about Rucker right. Hauer. They love the character. But then really, like he, she never stopped thinking about you, which she doesn't say anything like that. No. Instead, she just dances and hangs out with Matthew Broderick. <laughs> Why is? I mean, it's weird. The, the impression you get from him lying is that Lady Hawk and Wolfman are not actually supposed to be together. That eventually right. she's going to go off with Matthew Broderick. Right. He's playing matchmaker or something. Yep. He's playing matchmaker. And it turns out, you know, in kind of classic romantic comedy, actually the these two people are meant for each other. So it's weird that he has to manufacture lies <laughs> when the movie is at the end telling us actually they are star-crossed lovers. Watching this movie gave me a, a huge insight into every D&D character that i've ever seen kj play by the way <laughs> he, like i feel like i feel like philippe is at the core or at least a, a a nucleus of a lot of the different things that kj works into his role play when he plays D like just the character he doesn't really do a whole lot but he does a lot at the same time like it's and he does it in a way that's like strange and weird but he gets to the end point it's it's, it's mm-hmm. very strange but it was it was enlightening to me yeah <laughs> That describes KJ's role in this podcast. <laughs> it's strange and weird, but he, he's the one who gets the job done. He's, going. he's the guy that does everything behind the scenes and sets everything up, but he, it's just, he doesn't really show. Yeah, right. Mostly making comments that aren't that funny, but it's obvious he intends them to be funny. <laughs> this episode got real meta real quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, how about um, Doc Ock in this movie? That was another one of those like, oh my goodness, that's another really good actor in this. I know this is in the early day, the early 80s, right? It was 82, 85? What was this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like these people hadn't really broken in all the way yet, but it was like Rucker Howard's in this and Michelle Pfeiffer and then you have him and then you have Broderick. All these people are like, they are going to be much bigger stars than they are in this movie. It was it was interesting to see them all collected together. But he, they another one that's like, why are you even bringing this guy in here? Like, what is the purpose of giving this guy a name? He could literally be, go get me the wolf and a whole <laughs> right. bunch of people run into the forest and try to trap the wolf. Like, <laughs> you're 
it, it, you're giving me this guy. You're giving an entire scene. I know it was very long, but you're giving me an entire scene where you wake the king out of a out of a nightmare to say that C- Caesar is here, mm-hmm. and then it ends up being Alfred Molina, and he does nothing but like grin at the screen with some gnarly medieval teeth. And it's also the scene where he so he then goes off to trap the wolf, the Rucker Howard character, which presumably is the evil clan. And the reason why he fails to trap the wolf character is that he just gets the wrong wolf, right? <laughs> he doesn't well, really... Presumably he he's wrong... gotten a bunch of wolves. He's gotten a bunch of wolves. And then Michelle Pfeiffer's Ladyhawk character, Isabeau, knocks Alfred Molina into one of his own traps, which closes on his head, which somehow kills him. So um, Nick, Nick, if you're listening, go back and watch this movie because if you were here, you would absolutely bring up uh, Doc Ock's death in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and the trap on his head (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and it's it's just i mean it's odd because like the he he just he also fails on his own accord he just gets the wrong wolves right and like the fact that he dies just seems almost incidental to his failure it's not like she succeeded in defending him it's just he He happened not to get the wolf and now he's dead. Uh, You know, like the whole thing doesn't feel, it doesn't feel compelling. It doesn't feel threatening. This whole movie is you're not waiting for anything, right? You're not waiting for anybody to get anywhere. The solution to the movie is like, there will be a solar eclipse at some point. (laughs) (laughs) The solution to the movie is just wait two hours and it'll be over. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. If they never go anywhere, if Rucker Hauer and... And Michelle Pfeiffer's characters never go anywhere and just hang out. They'll be okay because then a solar eclipse will happen. No, but no, don't they, they have, have to be? They have, yeah. they have to be in the presence. Oh, they have to be in the presence of the bishop. Okay. Which who knows why? But I mean, they have to be in the presence of the bishop when it happens. Mm-hmm. So, so saith the Lady Hawk canon. That, that okay. All this being said, I did enjoy watching it. I'm not upset that I watched it, but it it did need to be two hours. It needed to be. I needed to be an hour and a half. And I think if it's an hour and a half, I don't. I think you can forgive some of these like shortcomings that it has because it's just a fun little medieval trope, a fun little medieval you know walk through the woods. At two hours, it needed a little more plot that it didn't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was either this or Newsies is what I was debating between. Oh God, I haven't seen Newsies on purpose. <laughs> never saw that one either. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we'll do another childhood block and <laughs> we'll bring a Christian Bale movie. So. Mm. I, you know, you're you're kind of planning this movie. You have this cool idea: the wolf during the night and the hawk during the day. When is Matthew Broderick supposed to sleep? <laughs> That's a good question. And then, how do they actually function? How do these two people actually function without a Matthew Broderick character? Or like, how long have they been doing this? And what did that look like before <laughs> they got Matthew Broderick involved? I don't know. Right? Who knows? Hands in the air. <laughs> it feels like maybe it was very recent. Like this this is a you know, like within the last few months, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But not because he's like the former captain, right? Like I yeah. guess it's it's guess it's early enough that the people still recognize him, but mm-hmm. he's been replaced already, so it wasn't like yesterday. <laughs> it wasn't yesterday, but maybe it wasn't years. Right. I don't know. I, I found like when I when it kind of unlocked in my head, you know, between the name of the movie, because I didn't I didn't look up any tra- trailers. I didn't watch anything. I didn't look up any spoilers. And so I didn't know anything about it going in. All I knew that the name was the Lady Hawk, which reminded me of college bowling. So Nickel, <laughs> Nickel, Nickel, understand that if he, if he actually listens to this episode. So all I knew was going in was the name. And then it took me 
I don't know, 15, 20 minutes to realize, oh, Michelle Pfeiffer is the hawk and he is the wolf. And I was like, that's really heartbreaking. I guarantee that this is going to be a love story and that <laughs> these two are going to be animals that are always kind of crossing, cross, like ships crossing in the night kind of thing. But that story, that romantic love story was never really taught. Like they said, yeah, we never get to see each other. By the way, let's go sword fight over here. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like the, what what would you know, just send the drums. Let's have this epic medieval fight to Synthrock. <laughs> but like what could have been like the core of a really interesting kind of emotional love story was glossed over for for a guy booby trapping a, a, a <laughs> castle. I don't know. I it could it could have been it could have been something great. Maybe it was never meant to be. Yeah. I think it could make a good TV show now. Maybe, I, I would love to see just the whole thing from Matthew Broderick's point of view. Just this sort of like put upon, like servant of two masters, put upon guy. Um, you know, like very much like a um, Figaro, a sort of like Figaro figure who has to kind of deal with these the, the sort of demanding masters and what have you. Um, that could be fun. Though... <laughs> That, like his jokes aren't that funny right? no. I, I still like what was the joke in the beginning about like escaping my mother's womb yeah I mean, that was him, getting... him getting out of the sewer right yeah, yeah get, like I... the punchline is he remembered that he remembered trying to do that yeah <laughs> that was the punchline and there's another punchline where he doesn't remember who his mother was and some of his bits with god are pretty good but it's only because they're kind of sacrilegious like it's not they're not actually funny. It's just, oh, I can't believe he said that to God. Like that kind of a, like that was. A yeah, and, and Matthew Broderick is charming, mm-hmm. right? He, he, I mean, he brings a sort of life to the role, despite the, these lines he has to say. He actually brings a little bit of a life to the role, as does Imperius, that is just missing in other things. And like, I, I, I mean, I'll say this a thousand times. I love Michelle Pfeiffer. I think she's a really talented actress and has been giving great performances for years. She. There is not a thing she does in this movie. She has nothing to do, right? Like I'm trying to remember an action she is responsible for. Mostly... She, she did something. She looked like she was in pain when she was being hugged by Rucker Hauer at the end. Like this love story, <laughs> this love story that we've been sold on this entire thing. Like he embraces her and like picks her up by like the like around like the thighs, like she's above him, and she just looks like she's agonizing. Like why am I with this man? Like. <laughs> That this was what I got out of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I the other thing I was wondering while watching it, what prompted this movie? What happened right before 1985 where they said, "You know what? We need the Superman guy to make a fantasy comedy. This is gonna work. This is gonna make bazillions." So I, I started looking up other movies. Dragon Slayer came out. Conan the Barbarian, Beastmaster, Krull. Did those make enough that this was the plan? Yeah, I don't, when, did, when did the Camelot film come out? Well, Legend, Legend was eighty five. Okay. Uh, Excalibur was eighty one. That was that was a pretty popular movie. Excalibur, that's it. I, I would say Excalibur. I would say Excalibur and Dragon Slayer was was eighty one. So I think those those all came before. And this is definitely uh, let's make a period piece. Beastmaster eighty two, Krull eighty three. Okay. So mm-hmm. was... and, and where was Conan O'Brien? I had Conan O'Brien. Where was Conan, <laughs> Conan the Barbarian? <O'Brien. laughs> Conan O'Brien came out in 1982. <laughs> yeah, Might have been born Ex- in 1982. 
Excalibur was a big hit, and it was a John Borman film, and apparently it's apparently a very good movie also. Um, have you have you ever seen it? I haven't seen it. No. Yeah. What do you think of it? It's, it's pretty good. I I enjoy it, but I, I like I said I I'm I'm I dig these. I dig fantasy. That's why <laughs> that's why Star Wars is my favorite sci-fi because it's really fantasy and not sci-fi. Yeah. I, I so I dig this I dig this genre of stuff so that's why I think I'm a little bit more leaning on this movie than I probably should be because it was it was pretty tough. <laughs> well, I'd like to once again congratulate our own Figaro who serves way too many masters, Nick. Nick Nicely done, yay. Nick. Yay, Nick. You know what? Nick doesn't Nick doesn't know what it takes to be a Lady Hawk. That's that's all I'm going to say about that. That's. Is that a is that a bowling? That's not, that's the bowling <laughs> reference. <laughs> that did literally, you... that literally one person or maybe two people will get. But I just had I had to throw it in there. Did you guys have a team that played at night and a team that uh, played during the day? No, no, we did. But there was when we when we college bowled. There was a uh, I think it was I just a Morgan State. No, Morehead State. That Morehead Moorhead State University. Mm-hmm. They were the Hawks, and their female bowling team were the Lady Hawks. And anytime anybody would throw a strike. They would all together chant, "You don't know what it takes to be a Lady Hawk," <laughs> and they were very good. So that happened quite often. So you heard it quite often throughout the <laughs> throughout a weekend of bowling, and it just sort of stuck in my head. Like mm-hmm. as soon as you said this title, I was like, "You don't know what it takes to be a Lady Hawk, KJ." <laughs> but it's definitely, true. definitely like a, an inside joke that two people are going to understand that may listen to this never ever in their lives. <laughs> you can rate and review this show anywhere podcasts are available. For those viewing in YouTube land, if you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the Talking Studios channel for all our exciting content, and follow us on Twitter at Talking Studios. Check out other shows by Talking Studios, including Keep Making Movies, where we explore micro-budget films, Limited Lexicon, where we play through text-based adventure games, and Get the Point, where we slowly reveal a movie poster and try to guess which movie poster it is. Got a question for us? Call the Talking Studios hotline at 201-467-8679 and leave a message. It may be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Talking Pictures Trivia wherever fine podcasts are found. Join us next time when we discuss Orochi from 1925, otherwise known as Serpent. Stay tuned for our first impression of Orochi. Ding, 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 ding. Next week, we'll be discussing Orochi from 1925. Chris, how was your watch? This was very much the first watch for this movie for me. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not well-versed in silent films and definitely not well-versed in Japanese silent samurai films. Uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed parts of it. I thought it was a little... It was a hard watch, even though it was only like an hour and ten minutes. It, 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 it's, it felt like a little bit longer. Uh, there are a couple really, really poignant parts. I really liked how they opened and closed the movie. We'll talk about that next week, probably. But uh, overall, I... I I, I'm glad I watched it, but I will probably never watch it again. If I'm being a hundred percent honest, what about you, Andy? How was your, how was your first impression? I would say it's uh, pretty similar. Um, you know, not familiar with the, the general terrain and, uh, yeah, I'm curious how like the themes in the movie match up with other themes, Japanese cinema, silent cinema around the time, but 
I uh, I did a lot of eye rolling at at <laughs> many parts. <laughs> and KJ, what do you think? Yeah, so audience, um, Tom's doing the questions, but I actually kind of recommended this film. Um, and Chris, I didn't even think of that. If this is one of your first silent films, yeah, that's a whole nother can of worms to open. Um, Tom, Andy, and I have seen a, at least a few silent films. I know Andy was on our um, The Man Who Laughs episode. Yeah. So, um, but so I way I, different know, I, than this. <laughs> it very yes, yes, very different, and that's kind of why I'm bringing it here, audience. Um, audience, if you haven't seen Orochi, one of the things that makes it different from other silent films is it's narrated. So in Japan. Uh, the silent films were generally or could be narrated as opposed to, you know, in the States, they just had an orchestra playing and you relied on the um, intertitle cards. Um, but how I found the film was I was doing searches for essential Japanese movies and came across like um, uh, Tokyo Story, Osaka Elegy, Meishi, really great films. And then one of the films was I Was Born But, uh, which was a silent film, which was also really good. I enjoyed it. And then on that list was Orochi. Um, and I'd watched it, I guess, almost a year ago now. And I thought, man, this is so different because of that narration. So I really wanted to bring it to Talking Pictures Trivia. Um, but on this watch, it is it is pretty disconnected. It's, as Chris said, it's a short movie, but it's not an easy movie to sit through. So audience, take your time. Maybe do it in a few different stages. Um, yeah, how about you, Tom? I did enjoy very much the the Benchy kind of voice narration. And I think that's the reason to see it is the kind of voiceover narration. It's very impressive. Um, she differentiates the characters in interesting ways. She has incredible vocal range. And while the film is interesting for, I think like a lot of the fight choreography is actually pretty interesting. It seems to be a time in Japanese cinema where that style of fighting is really new it's being introduced unfortunately because of the speed of the film the grace of the fighting is kind of lost it looks a little um, it, it looks a little choppy until the last scene where we have this great crane shot that looks down on the fight and you get to see a little more of the choreography of it but I think the reason to see this film is as KJ mentioned that voice over narrator which if you look at the history of japanese silent films which was is more actually more extensive than silent films anywhere else in the world it continued into the the 1930s it seems to have been because of this tradition of voice over narration and so it's a really great insight into this kind of interesting cultural product Audience, you can find Orochi on YouTube if you do a quick search. Wow, Talking Studios, 